what is going on ladies and gentlemen welcome back to another edition of the jays for days podcast i'm josh he's josh we got jays jumpers Jaron jackson juniors john morantz joe johnson's jaw rafts of course we've got jays we got him for days josh how you going you know on what was that monday night mm-hmm. i was i had convinced myself that Chet Holmgren was going to be the number one overall pick, and it wasn't a discussion. And now, 24 plus hours later, I think I've changed my mind again. I just can't. I'm very fascinated by this number one overall pick thing because sometimes, I mean, what he did at San Francisco was just not fair. But mm-hmm. then last night, of course, he's going to struggle sometimes, but it, I just can't. You know, sometimes I feel like it's clearly him. There was a point. During those North Carolina games, where I went, I mean, I don't know. Paulo, that his offensive polish, maybe mm-hmm. he needs to get into that discussion. And then there's other times it's well, it's Jabari Smith. I'm just very curious how this is all going to play out because it's not the greatest draft in the world. There's no clear number one. I just keep going back and forth in my head. I think people need to stop being afraid of how how skinny Chet is. Oh yeah, that's not my concern. Well, I think, I think that if he were twenty pounds lighter, heavier, it wouldn't be a, a it wouldn't be a discussion. He would you're be probably, the clear cut number right. one pick. You're probably right. Um, because we keep talking about how, like, like in the same breath, people will say, "I don't like skinny athletes, skinny prospects," but also the NBA, like monster is going to do such a better job with him just like and his focus on his body like like these two things exist simultaneously like okay Giannis Giannis is literally was literally the exact same weight as Chet when he because I looked it up because I was curious they're both 190 pounds he was 190 pounds on draft night and he I mean he looks like a yeah right this is not an issue that is unsolvable by any stretch of the imagination um but you're right, because I also think there are a lot of things, right? Because the thing that's so attractive about Jabari is his ability to get pretty much any shot he wants because of how tall he is. But really, there are a lot of things about him that, and we've talked about it a little bit, like I don't trust his ability to like make a, a two-step dribble move to get an open shot, like like perhaps just like a crossover or simply a a dribble into a shot and he's just going to be able to get it off over you and maybe he does he won't need dribble moves but i'm a little hesitant when it comes to that but you, you know that's funny i would consider i i mean perhaps this draft this draft isn't the deepest but i i would be really excited if i'm one of the three number one of the top three picks i guess after that it drops pretty quickly Mm -hmm. but i'd be more excited about being the number three having the number three pick this year than i was last year right this is one of those where i feel like number one is not as big of a deal but right if you if you can get one of the three guys yeah they all have their pluses and minuses and different ways you can build around them but they are yeah just that series of events where Chet Holmgren went to block a shot on the left side of the basket. The guard, I don't remember who it was for San Francisco, correctly shielded it by using mm-hmm. the other side. He hung in there long enough to block it with his other hand. Yeah. Went down. I believe he blocked the ball to a teammate, went down the court, caught it at about the free throw line, 
put a spin move, just put the dude in a blender and dunked it. And I just yeah. went, yeah, well, we don't need, I mean, I'm just walking out if I'm a scout. I don't know. Right. I don't need to see anything here. <laughs> right. Exactly. Now he didn't have the greatest game in the, when they played St. Mary's partially because St. Mary's has more size with the team they were able to put on the floor and it's going to happen sometimes, but I did want to mention Chet just because he has gotten significantly better. He is not the same player he was when he is. Yeah. He is way better than he was at the beginning of the year. And, and I'll also, I, I think he would be the, I might even go as far to say as he would be the clear cut number one, if he played anywhere except the West coast conference, because maybe there's a little bit of, because he's clearly better, but then you can also say that he played in the West coast conference all year. Mm -hmm which is a little unfair, but I understand it when the right. other two he's guys not, he's, he's sort of in conversation with playing the ACC and the SEC. Right. He's not going up against Kofi Coburn, Mark Williams. You go down the list of right. Purdue guys, Oscar Shibway. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, I also think that the NBA and the college game are very much different games at this point. Right. And the things that he does – like the fact that he leads the that he led the West Coast Conference in both blocks per game and three point shooting. Yeah. Like I'm not sure. Like if 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 on his list of cons, his weight is like second or even first. Like that's a pretty good place to start when you're 19 yeah. years old. But my, my concern is, can he be a a primary scoring option for a championship team? That is my only hesitation. But if you build the right team around him, it doesn't matter. Agreed. Um, That's all. But yeah, yeah I, I guess I just don't think about big men prospects as wanting them to be that guy. And perhaps that's considering, you know, how good centers are in the NBA right now. Perhaps that's that should be a change in my thought process. But I guess I put more stock in asking that question of, of a guy like Paolo than I do, even though they're like pretty close to the same height. But I think we can objectively say that Paolo and Chat do not play the same position. Yeah, no. Uh, but I, I think that's fair because I mean, I guess I've just been watching Kevin Durant and LeBron James be the number one scoring options on title teams for so long that that I don't, or Kawhi Leonard, that I don't. Uh, but I would be, if you're expecting him to come in, you being people, and be your number one scoring option, I guess that that's a fair thing to uh, to suggest, especially if he does get there. It's probably not in the, I'm just going to be physically overpowering in a way that Joel Embiid is, for example. Right. Mm-hmm. But that guy's freaking ridiculous. Anyways, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got a couple things I need to get off my chest. Yeah, go for it. Um, number one is that it's the dumbest rule Maybe in sports that in your first year as a Division One school, you're not allowed to make the NCAA tournament. Four years. Is it four years? I thought yeah. it was. Well, then it's even dumber. It's it's during the entire transition. It's dumb. If you're playing a Division One schedule, you should be able to be in the Division One NCAA tournament. It does fill the out. It does fill the out loud test in the sense that you're not playing down, right? Right. It's it's not like you have Division One athletes that are still in your program and you're playing D two teams. Correct. It doesn't. I yeah. I don't really have an expl. I don't have an explanation for it. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, Bellarmine, Bellarmine, mine. I think it's mean. 
Mean Bellarmine. Don't quote me. They no. they won the A Sun conference tournament, and they're not allowed to play in the tournament because now, well, you know, ironically, you get your wish because Jacksonville State, who won the regular season, gets to play <laughs> in the tournament. Yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe you're all for it in this no, particular not, circumstance, not like but this. not like this. Um, but Bellarmine, because they're in the transition period between from D two to D one not allowed to play in the NCAA tournament, which is just the dumbest thing ever. It just is like, like I, I, I would love for you. Like, please. It fails the out loud test. We're going to let you play a division one schedule and be a division one team, but you can't play in the division one postseason. Yeah. Okay. The only but reason I, I knew that was a thing was that I, when Southern Indiana announced that they were going beginning their transition yeah. to D one, in their press release announcing it, they explicitly said they will not be able to compete for NCAA championships. And so when this happened, I went, oh, right. That's it. I didn't know I, it was. I, I, I had seen the press release for a different school, so I knew right. it. And I knew it was a thing. Right. I didn't realize it was four years. I thought it was I, only I like one it, or two. I believe it is an entire four-year transition. That's ridiculous. Um. Anyways, that's the first thing I have to get off my chest. The second thing I have to get off my chest, and, and off my chest is a relative term. I'm not actually angry about this. I, I think I'm genuinely sad for Jeff Capel. Pitt lost by 20 to Boston College last night. Yeah. And like, and I understand, like, I'm sure he got paid plenty of money to go be the head coach at an ACC school. But he, you got to think it's a, it's a little bit in his head that he is no closer to a high level, a, a high profile college basketball head coaching job. He might even be farther away from it than he was when he was an assistant at Duke. Oh, he's absolutely hey, farther hey, away. Maybe that's not even a discussion. Um, and anyway, you know, the only notch in the other column would be that he is has head coaching experience, but that's about it. And And I'm not saying that like Pitt was a train wreck before he got there and he just hasn't been able to turn it into something other than a train wreck. But I feel. Cause like, you have to think that if he, and maybe Shire would have joined the coaching staff anyways, and we would have gotten to that point anyways, but you, you'd have to think that especially after Wojo left that Capel, if he just stay, sticks around, is probably going to be the next – would be the next head coach uh, at Duke. I'm just a little sad for him. I'm sure he's – I'm sure he's doing fine. But, like, John Chire is about to be the next head coach at Duke and Capel might get fired. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. that's just a, a tough position to be in when you were the John Shire of the Duke coaching staff not all that long ago. Anyways. I think it's, it's one of those just – inherent things you can't turn off of believing you can be the one to fix it and mm -hmm. turn around the program and it's not right Pitt, Pitt has a terrific basketball tradition it's not like he was going to some kind of right long-term dump that needs revive obviously Pitt was there's a reason that they were looking for a new head coach but not all that long ago they were competing in elite eight and final fours and you know it's a program that if you got things going it's a a good job right. so you can yeah you can certainly understand he didn't just take any job and, but there is the it, it it's a tough look and, and and you take you know no 
to suggest that Arizona, when Tommy Lloyd took over there and Pitt, when Jeff Capel took over there, are, were, are in relatively the same place would be a silly thing to suggest. But, you know, Tommy Lloyd has immediately cemented himself as the Arizona coach until he doesn't want the job anymore, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yep. In, in less than a year. So that's the other side of this equation. And right, and, and I'm not dogging, please don't take it the wrong way, as I'm dogging Jeff Capel for wanting to go and be a head coach and thinking he had what he had the ability to turn it around because that's that's what you want from your that's the confidence you want from your from your new head coach or somebody who's trying to be a head coach. So I'm not dogging him for the decision he made. I'm just saying that um, perhaps the grass isn't always greener to mm-hmm. use one of those incredibly overused cliches in the sports world. But um, anyways, those are the two things I have. Josh, it's um, it's conference tournament week. It it's is. very exciting. We are underway. And, you know, it's only Wednesday, Wednesday at 9, 17 a.m. And you've already been reminded in multiple mid-major tournaments why conference tournament week is, is really close behind – the first week, the first weekend of the NCAA tournament, it's just there's a lot going on. There are, you know, there are some, you know, chalks that happen in the tournament. The one seed just goes on through. But even you know, Chattanooga, the one seed in the SoCon, got tested, and then there was a buzzer beater. The point being is that we're only halfway through it. The big, the Power Six conferences haven't really gotten underway, except for the, you know, Boston College versus Pitt type games and we've already had a lot happen but of course the bulk of this pod uh surrounding the six the big six the power six the power five plus the big east whatever you want to go uh tournaments uh we'll go through and we'll pick a winner we'll uh chit chat about each of them for for a few minutes and try to predict things that will inevitably be wrong what are you going for over you, you like over Ooh, under two yes. and a half conference champions over 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 okay he's going over he's pretty you? confident um i think i can i think i can get 50 percent of them if you gave me three and a half i wouldn't take that at all got that right <laughs> but I'd, I'd pro- probably, I'll probably uh, bet on my ability to get three of the six. So starting with the ACC, because in basically alphabetical order, relative alphabetical order, the ACC is certainly first. Um, we can have a discussion about Big East, Big Ten, and Big 12 if you'd like. But the ACC objectively ahead of the, the bigs when it comes to alphabetical order. So we'll start there. Um, 14... 15 teams, excuse me. It's a lot of teams. Um, this, the first round started on Tuesday. Uh, Pitt, Boston College played. Um, you had Clemson and NC State and then Louisville taking on Georgia Tech, and that happened yesterday. Um, but – with that being said, I'm guessing that the first round between the bottom five seeds is not bottom six seeds is not where you're uh, going to start here. But um, what interests you about this tournament, the way the bracket shook out, all of the above, just don't give me your winner yet. Thank you. Yeah, the, the thing 
for this one in particular, I'm very curious about is just the bubble situation because you're in a spot where you've got four teams that feel pretty good, right? Your, your top four seeds, Duke, Notre Dame, North Carolina, Miami. Now, are all of them in the seed lines they'd like to be? No, which is the second part of this for me. But those four teams should feel pretty good at this point. And because they've got the buys, unless somebody goes on a run, they're not going to have a terrible loss, right? Because you're talking about playing a Florida State, Wake Forest, Virginia Tech, Virginia type team in the quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. Starting with today's Wednesday's games, five, six, seven, Wake Forest, Virginia, Virginia Tech all on the either right or wrong side of the bubble, depending on who you're talking to and which team it is at this moment in time. Wake Forest is probably in. But if Wake Forest messes around and loses that game, and let's say Virginia goes on or, you know, gets through and beats North Carolina, that could take Wake Forest out of the – or if, if Virginia Tech somehow makes it to the final and beats Notre Dame and North Carolina along the way or something. Mm-hmm. Those Virginia, Virginia Tech have work to more so than Wake Forest. I feel like if Wake Forest just kind of does what they're supposed to, they're probably going to be okay, especially if they can beat Miami. Mm -hmm. But that is the thing that's very interesting about this for me. And the fact that Virginia Tech and Virginia, the teams with the most work to do, don't have Duke on their side of the bracket. So you're talking about having to get through Notre Dame and, and or North Carolina in theory to get to a championship game. And if you get to an ACC championship game, even if you lose it, that might be, I mean, depending on how things play out, that very well could be enough to get you in and completely change this conversation from where they are now. So that's the, the first part of this for me is those three teams in particular. And then is anybody going to help themselves besides Duke? Anybody being the other three teams with these, automatic buys to the quarterfinals who are just kind of sitting there safely in the tournament as, you know, eight, nine, 10 seed sort of teams. Mm-hmm. Can one of them go on and win this thing and maybe get into a seven, eight more kind of thing and help themselves a little bit. Cause it's, it's just sort of strange. You got Duke, you've got these other teams who are in that, going to be playing a one or two seed in theory in the second round if they get through the first round and then you got all these bubble teams and that's Mm -hmm. basically the relevant teams in the ACC tournament right the story here is is there are there any teams that lose dumb games and play themselves out of the tournament I mean depending on where you look in our and Lucas Harkins from heat check has two ACC teams within you know last four buys last four in two of those teams are from the ACC being Wake Forest and Notre Dame so you can't just look at it's just a weird part of it's a weird place to be in where the number two seed in the ACC tournament bracket like if somebody like NC State has a weird run and beats Notre Dame like the fight the Irish are like like there's a lot of pressure on that kind of game. And that's usually not the case with the two seed, right? The two seed, mm-hmm. the ACC is usually a top three, four seed, right? right? If right. not, you know, and in the right year, the two, the number two seed is a 
borderline one seed <laughs> along with Virginia, who just won 18 and two in, in, in conference play. Um, so it starts, right, it starts with Wake Forest at, and Wake Forest, according to Lucas, is a little safer than Notre Dame, which is a funny thing. You know, again, just, it's a weird ACC year, yeah. but it's starting in the second round, a team that was a top five ACC team in conference play, like you need to beat Boston College. And on the surface, that's an easy thing to do, but it gets pretty like we're not talking about florida state and syracuse in the eight nine matchup like those two teams they have to do something really really unexpected not just like win there because you know a lot of times like uh, the acc trying to get six seven eight teams into the tournament somewhere in there and perhaps the eight versus nine game is a game that is a de facto ncaa tournament game mm-hmm. because the winner is probably going to get in and the loser is probably not and that's just you know those teams might need to go and win the whole thing to get right. into the tournament. Right. Um, so it's, we're looking at the same thing ultimately in terms of where are the teams on the bubble going to help or hurt themselves. We're just looking like four or five seed lines closer to one than we usually are. Yeah. Um, and, and then you just add in like, as a result, I'm not super confident in any of these teams. And especially these teams that we're talking about. So like, it wouldn't shock me if Boston college finds a way to upset Wake Forest and like Notre Dame gets a bye to the quarterfinals and for them to feel really actually safe and be able to watch selection Sunday, you know, without a high heart rate that they probably need to beat a team that they're, better than yeah, in the again, quarterfinals again, to, re- to really solidify yeah, it. And that's just right. a weird way to be looking at the ACC tournament. Yeah. And it could also just flip so quickly, depending on if, right, if somebody runs, if a Virginia or Virginia Tech runs through that side of the bracket, that would in theory mean that they have knocked out Notre Dame fairly early. Right. And, you know, the, the order of these teams, there's already enough debate about, right, Wake Forest, Notre Dame, how you rank some of them among bracketologists and it could just completely change again based on who picks up what wins and who loses to who in this thing right okay you got anything else before we pick a winner no who you got Duke. really i can't believe you copied me what a what a copier mm-hmm. um i got i got the blue devils as well and there's just and we kind of been talking about this all year like I am always hesitant to pick Duke to win this tournament because they just don't all that often. And when they are the number one seed, that's also, that's almost always when they don't do it. Like the times they've done it recently is when they were not expected to do it. Um, or at least, you know, not expected if you're a top four Duke's Duke seed in the ACC tournament, like it's always, there's always a chance, but when they're the clear cut favorites, I'm I'm almost even more hesitant, but in this particular year, like I don't see UNC beating them twice in a row. And like, I'm just not scared in any way, shape or form by Notre Dame or Miami. Another, and obviously they've already lost to Miami too. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I, I just have the utmost confidence that after what happened on Saturday, they're going to be ready. I don't know yep. what that means for the, the NCAA tournament. We're going to see, see how they play, but I, 
they're just they are in too much control of this by themselves and I refuse to lose all faith in them. There's just nobody that can match them when they are at their best, which is not usually the case in the ACC. Agreed. Shall we move on? Yeah. The Big East, a tournament that in a year that Villanova went 16 and four in conference, so that they are not the, na- the team uh, that has a one next to the name. That would be the Providence Friars. Uh, Providence, Villanova, and UConn getting buys of the quarterfinals, along with Creighton and Marquette. But Creighton and Marquette will play. They, that's that's a decided game in the first round. Uh, Butler and Xavier in the eight nine with the uh, chance to go play Providence, uh, St. John's and DePaul with the chance to go play Villanova and Seton Hall and Georgetown. It's a real tough one there for Seton Hall uh, with the chance to go play UConn, who is the three seed. Um, the Big East tournament is super fun. Uh, the Big East tournament at Madison Square Garden is always one of the most exciting uh, tournaments of of the week. Uh, whether that just just because it's at Madison Square Garden or not is you know certainly a conversation. But it's always fun and one of the tournaments that you know, I mean Georgetown won this conference tournament last year. No. If Georgetown went and won four straight Big East games after failing to surpass one uh, in the regular season, I'd be shocked. I wonder what the odds are for Georgetown to win. I'm sure it's like plus 500,000 or something. I'm sure it's something just absolutely ridiculous. But uh, what's you about the, the way this bracket turned out and uh, what you're paying attention to as they get underway in Madison Square Garden later today? Yeah, this, this is interesting because there's a real argument to be made. The single most important game in this tournament is the first one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, we talk about eight, nine play-in games for tournament spots. Now, obviously, that does not apply to Butler. Mm-hmm. But you saying that Butler's not on the bubble? Is that what you're telling me? That, that is what I'm, I'm saying. All right, fine. But if this ha- – I mean <laughs> – if Xavier loses this game, that's probably it. Hey, do you remember when Travis Steele said that his team expects to win the, the Big East this year? Mm-hmm. Mm, that's tough. And so I, I just find that ironic that because all of these teams are in, and then the, the other one I'm really looking at is Creighton Marquette mm-hmm. from Creighton's bubble perspective. Of It's certainly not a bad loss. Marquette could also use a nice run here to sort of get a little bit of mojo back and help move up their seed line a little bit. Mm-hmm. But th- those two games to me are easily the most significant because other than that, it's just kind of a jumbled mess of, you know, Seton Hall, despite conference struggles was so good in non-conference, they should be fine. Obviously Providence, UConn, Villanova, Marquette are going to be fine. And you're not, Xavier's your bubble team. Mm-hmm. Unless, George Seton Hall does something catastrophic and loses to Georgetown, then maybe it's a different discussion, but that's, that's part of this for me. And I just, the more I stared at this thing, though, I've just decided that I feel least confident in my selection for this bracket than any of the rest of them. It's pretty cut and dry. What's like you said, it's pretty cut and dry. What's the most important here in terms of, the how many teams the Big East is going to get into the tournament because um, it looks like I mean there's nothing 
there's nothing really catastrophic that can happen to the top six seeds unless Seton Hall Lord just loses to Georgetown. But Xavier is staring like you can't lose to Butler. You can't do you can't do it. Um and then after that it just gets really right because you know it's one of those things it's like Providence number one seed, but they three of their five toughest games they didn't get to play and the other two of their five toughest games they lost to Villanova so and and we'll get to predictions here in a second but not every conference tournament starts with the number one seed and I still feel like that like I I will be impressed if Providence wins three straight not because I don't think they can but because if they win three straights, it's going to involve them beating, um, you know, getting to play Creighton or Marquette. It's not like they have to go through UConn or Villanova before they get to the, to the conference tournament, but Providence is probably going to have to do something they haven't done yet this year, especially, you know, if they meet Villanova in the conference tournament championship, then they're going to have to do something they haven't done this year, which is find a way to beat Jay Wright's team. But I am, I'm curious do you consider who do you consider the favorite here? Is it Providence or is it Villanova? Because you know, depending on who you ask, you know, yeah, Providence was really good this year, but also Providence is just slammed by all of the metrics. And I'm sure there's a large contingency of people who think that, yeah, if they played all 20 games, that Villanova would be the one seed in this tournament because Providence would have finish, you know, 15 and five or at least 16 and four and Villanova would have had the head to head. So do you, who do you think is the favorite in this tournament? Whether regardless of actual odds. Yeah. And to me, the favorite is Villanova. And that's also my prediction. We can just jump into them. To me, this is going to come down to, I really hope we get a Villanova UConn game and it's going to come down to that game. I also really like UConn's chances if they can find a way to get that done. I I just think the ceiling on those two teams is higher than Providence. And, and like you said, Providence has been very good at winning games. Providence is supposed to win, mm-hmm. which in this conference this year, to me, is still good enough, even if they would have played their high. To me, they were the deserving regular season outright champions. Villanova didn't do enough to make me feel there was any kind of injustice that was done. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, this is still Villanova's conference. This is still Villanova's tournament they not that they win this thing every single year but they very rarely disappoint right it's a it's a close loss in the semifinal or more often than not right they always seem to show up in the conference championship game they don't always win it but they do get to that title game i'm gonna go with jay Wright. i just think it's it's a lot to ask a team who's never been there before to not only win a regular season outright title but to then back it up with a conference tournament title, which is a completely different ball game that is, it just takes something different than being consistent over a 18, 20 game regular season. Uh, I still think Villanova is the best team in this conference, regardless of what actually happened in the regular season. Ed Cooley and his team, like you said, they did everything that they needed to win the 
regular season outright. And it's not like I feel sorry for Villanova and Jay Wright, but um, at some point, I mean, close games caught up with them against Villanova. At some point, you're not going to win all of your close games. And, you know, I'd probably go to Providence before to, before I went to UConn in terms of, like, I wouldn't completely completely go all the way to if Villanova and UConn play in the semifinals. Like, whoever wins that game will win it because if Providence goes to the final, I still think there's they have a very good shot of winning it. Oh, sure, but sure, yeah. Villanova is is my pick as well because, you know, as awesome as Ed Cooley has been, he's been he named the men's coach of the year by multiple different media outlets. Um, I still think Villanova is the better team, and I still think that Villanova has the best team and the best player in the tournament, which is also something I will hang my hat on. Yeah, I, I'm not trying to dismiss Providence by saying that I think it's a Villanova. I just feel like whoever ends up winning that game is going to win it, not because it's a de facto title game, but just they're going to find a way to get past Providence or whoever else may come out of the other side of the bracket. It's, sure. Yeah, it's just a, it's a different kind of world. And I, I'm going to trust the teams that have been there before. And both, the, both Villanova and UConn have had plenty of now. UConn, not recently, but have had plenty of success in this tournament and this building. Mm-hmm. Shall we move on? Indeed. The Big Ten. The one seeds are as fa- the top four seeds are as follows. They play in like you know, like April seventeenth. I think that's when uh, <laughs> I think that's when those those double by teams actually end up playing. Um, Illinois, the one seed. Purdue. Oh, excuse me. Wisconsin, the two. Purdue, the three. Followed by Rutgers. Shouts to the Scarlet Knights. Uh, as the four seed, yeah, can we that, talk about the number four seed Big Ten bubble team? Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, it's almost unfortunate for them that, that's what I'm saying because, especially like in the draw they got, I don't want to play Iowa, right. I don't want to play Keegan Murray in Iowa, absolutely not, especially not now. Yeah, they're playing some of the, I mean, they're playing as well as just about any team in the country. Yeah, that was one of the things I wanted to just quickly point out is this. Rutgers won too many Big Ten games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, the reason they're a bubble team is because they were so bad for that stretch of non-conference, which they also did to themselves. Right. But right, they, they don't have they don't have the luxury of if they just won a regular if they if they were in Iowa's position and they beat whoever comes out of the Nebraska Northwestern game, then they'd probably be fine. Right. But they have too many, they got the extra buy, which means they that Iowa game, assuming it is Iowa, is going to carry a tremendous amount of weight. Now, maybe the other, the, uh, the flip side to it is if things break right, even if you lose that, maybe you're still fine because it's a quality loss. Right. But, yeah, I did I did want to mention that. That was one of the things that stood out to me. It's so weird to to see. It, it, it's it's like when was the last time we were talking about the Big Ten four seed being a double, being right. a, a bubble team? Yeah. And then you got yeah. plenty of teams behind them that aren't. Yeah, plenty of teams. Which, but it's just a very weird. Usually, the team that is fourth in that's fourth in your Big Ten tournament is is fine. We usually have to go all the way to like eight or nine to talk about, but um, to talk about bubble teams. But that's not the case as of right now. They probably just need one if they beat Iowa. I don't feel I don't think they need to win oh, yeah. multiple games to get into no. get into the tournament. But 
depending I, on I how the rest they of the might week be fine if they lose still but depending on how the rest of the like if somebody right because right. that's the other part of conference tournament week is that yeah as of right now but the bubble can be completely shifted if a team you know just to use big 10 like if a team like indiana or a team like if you go over to the acc and a team like florida state or syracuse that isn't in the tournament feel like that's the that's part of what's so intriguing about this week is that as a team that you weren't expecting makes a run then other teams on the bubble start to sweat a little because all of a sudden the committee has to make room for a team like required of course to make room for a team that they had no intention of including until they won their conference tournament so um, when it comes to Rutgers, right, they could lose to Iowa and maybe be fine. But also if they lose to Iowa and then somebody like, you know, TCU, well, maybe T- somebody like, I don't know, pick a team that's somebody like Nebraska comes out of nowhere and, and wins the conference tournament, then perhaps losing that game comes back to bite them because as a result, they're right on the bubble and maybe they get knocked out as a, as a result anyways like i said uh this tournament gets underway today with a couple games between the bottom four teams in the conference and um and then we get into the good stuff on thursday starting with an indiana michigan michigan game that is really really important michigan needs to not lose a game to a non-tournament team and indiana if they have any hopes of making the tournament after the way they ended their season needs you know, they probably need to find a way to upset Illinois in the in the quarterfinals, but it certainly starts with with beating Michigan at 11.30 on Thursday morning. That was the game I had circled, too. Yeah, easily the most interesting game of this thing. Just the where these two teams are at, Jawan Howard coming back, the stakes, mm. the way that this thing lined up. Yeah, huge, huge game for both teams. As of March 8th, Michigan is in the field, according to our esteemed, our, uh, our incredibly accurate pal, Lucas Harkins. Uh, Indiana, as one of his replacement teams, which I'm not sure. COVID. Exactly. Ah, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yes. Um, so in the in the hunt, but also not uh, in the hunt to the extent that they're in the original field of 68 at this moment. But with that being said, so Indiana in the conversation, certainly, but uh, showing in the Big Ten tournament is, and in Michigan, one of those teams that not last four in at this point, but losing to Indiana would certainly put them in that spot. Yep. Um, they did, the, they did the hard work to dig themselves out. Yep. And one loss puts them right back in the place you don't want to be. Yep. And makes Selection Sunday a very uh, risky proposition if uh, if they lose that game. But that's where it starts here. Um, and then it's a conversation of, you know, you had three different teams here that, you know, depending on who you talk to, three different teams that looked like they were the best team in the Big Ten at certain points this season. Um, and, you know, Illinois and Purdue were the two teams that for the largest stretches of time looked like the best teams in this conference, but Wisconsin has the best player in this conference, but is he healthy? And what we saw just earlier this week is that Wisconsin is susceptible to losses like Nebraska 
when he they don't have him for for large stretches of time so lots this is one of those right this gets very very interesting just because of how close the top of this conference was for the majority of the season and you know even teams like Iowa that are playing like you said as good as anybody in the country that have a relatively favorable like they're going to get the winner of Nebraska and Northwestern and if you had to pick a four seed to have to play like Rutgers is pretty high up on that list no disrespect to right. to the Scarlet Knights but and then they just took Illinois to the wire and should have been right right exactly so you have this Iowa team sort of lurking with probably the second best player in the conference this year behind Johnny Davis maybe you maybe you want to talk Kofi, maybe you want to talk Jay Nivey, but yeah, EJ with the top five at least, but certainly EJ Waddell in there, right? But certainly a guy that if you looked up on Sunday and Keegan Murray had had three straight third, you know, 26 point performances and Iowa was in the big 10 tournament championship game that there would be more shocking things to have happen. Right. Certainly a tournament MVP caliber kind of guy. Right. Yeah. 100%. So very uh very deep tournament here and a lot of really really high level players and then even a team like ohio state that's kind of lurking uh i'm sure i'm guessing they're not going to get a lot of buzz going into the tournament just because of right they did fall to the sixth seed in iowa being the five seed there get some of that sort of maybe you're not thinking about them buzz but uh ohio state lurking there with chris holtman and ej liddell as well um this is one i'm very much looking forward to because there are probably six teams here i mean maybe even seven like i wouldn't be stunned if any of the top seven teams in this tournament at least make it to the to the championship game on sunday Mm -hmm. um and certainly not out of the realm of possibility for any of those teams those top seven teams to um to, to cut down the nets in Indianapolis once we get to the end of Sunday. Um, anything else you want to add before we get to a prediction? Let's jump into them. What you got? I'm going to surprise you, I think. Okay. Purdue. The Boilermakers. Yeah? Yeah. Tell me why. Just looking at this bracket, just from their perspective, there's nothing that scares me. I refuse to be scared about playing Ohio State when they're in Purdue Mm -hmm. just because of the – I don't care about what happened when they fell apart when they played earlier this year. Just the the physical mismatch of the rosters. And I know Joey Brunk's been playing very well recently, but I will just never be scared of that matchup if I'm Purdue. Never. And then, right, so you're talking about, okay, if Michigan State should be able to take care of Maryland, so now you're talking about Michigan State or Wisconsin. In theory, that should be Wisconsin. Johnny Davis seems to be okay, but also Johnny Davis playing and Johnny Davis being 100% are two different things, as you kind of alluded to. And, yes, I don't love Johnny Davis versus Purdue because he's the kind of player they can't guard. But also, Wisconsin has no interior presence, so that's not the worst matchup in the world if I'm Matt Painter. And if I if my job is to then go beat Illinois in the title game, they've had success against them this year, and I want two guys that can go guard Kofi Coburn, and they have them. I just 
And also they're the most talented team in this conference. I still don't think they're the best. I think that's Illinois. Mm-hmm. But from this perspective, the way this played out, I see some traps for Illinois I don't see for Purdue, which probably means that Illinois will go on and win this thing. Well, probably. Um, um, uh, Matt Painter, I never wavered. I never left your side. Not a single time. I'm a little disappointed that you didn't even get the two seed here. I'm a little disappointed. I'm a little sad about it. But Yes, I would like to take a moment to recognize that there's a one next to Illinois. Um, <laughs> a couple things here. I still, like, Purdue has two seven-footers when the most important player on Illinois' team is Kofi Coburn. And, and inconsistency is a characteristic of Illinois guards. Like if Illinois has a game where, where their guards look like Trent Frazier and Andre Corbell look like the guys that we know they can be, then, then that's an issue because Purdue's perimeter defense is like basically non-existent. But with that being said, if you get inconsistent nights from them they're in such a good spot to they're they're in such a good matchup spot with illinois because if they have to go through kofi and he's the only one producing they just have two seven footers that they can they can put on him and then right. even if he's the more physically imposing guy i mean like maybe Travion Williams has something to say about that. Certainly not knocking him, but like just being able to put that much size on him for 40 straight minutes yep. is a lot to ask of even somebody as good as Kofi Coburn. I actually think that, and the same can be said against Ohio state in theory, right? I mean, EJ Liddell being, I mean, ask Trace Jackson Davis about what it's like to try and be productive against now Trace Jackson Davis had a really good second half against Purdue, but like you saw him, it's just really hard as a six, nine big guy to try and be productive against two, seven plus footers. Right. It, it is so difficult. And the, the focus is so different because all of a sudden you're a six, nine guy that's trying not to get your shot blocked all night. And that can just be now EJ Liddell, I think is a better player than, than Trace Jackson Davis. So it's certainly a, a tough matchup, but nobody else on Ohio state scares me from a, I'm really going to get burnt by somebody not named EJ Liddell. I actually think that if you have a healthy Johnny Davis, that the most important game for Purdue in this one, or the one I'm the most scared of is the idea of Johnny Davis having 37 against Purdue in the semifinal. I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. So, and so if, if he's not like, if he's just 90%, like I'm a little less scared, but that's the one where I'm like the best player on the floor is going to have no problem taking advantage of Purdue's weaknesses, basically from top to bottom on the defensive end, but especially on the perimeter. Um, that would That's the one I'm most worried about. But I have been at maybe as flawed as it has been. I still think, to your point, that, that the road for Purdue is about as good as you can get it here from a matchup perspective until you get to the championship game. And then once you get to that point, it's kind of like, okay, who's the better team on this day? Yeah. Not really. Who's the, you know, we can talk about matchups. We can talk about flaws, but really it's okay. Who's the, who's going to make shots. Who's the better team on that day. And I actually saw a graphic earlier this week 
Uh, and it was basically like, here's why you saying that it's hard to beat three, you know, a team three times in a row is silly because it was like from 20, like since 2015 or something, or maybe even longer than that, maybe it was like 10 years that the team that is trying to beat somebody for the third time in one season has like a 77% win percentage. Really? Yeah. It was like, like 900 and 400, Hmm. something like that. So while it's certainly there's some value to it, right? Because, you know, those teams were, you know, X amount of wins and O in the first two games against those teams, obviously, because right, I was just right. So right. So there's some some good Zaga skewing to it. Sure. <laughs> but the point being that right, and you know, there's some right, there's certainly some of that. Um, but the point being is that perhaps it's not quite as hard as we try to make it out to be at this point in the in the college basketball season, but I've never wavered. And certainly I think that like, you know, Michigan with their Jawan Howard back um, some of the matchups there, um, they, you know, Illinois had to go past a, either a hot Iowa team or a Rutgers team. That's never fun to play. Um, I like the way this had, this shook out for Purdue and, um, and um, I, I've never wavered. So I'm not going to waver here. All right. So we're in agreement so far. This is so boring. I'm picking I'm picking TCU next. Here we go. All righty. The Big 12 move, move uh, through here. Been perhaps with a, a slightly better click. It won't take us 50 minutes to go through the next three, I promise. Um, Big 12. Uh, looking at the bracket here. Uh, your one seed is Kansas getting the winner of Kansas State and West Virginia. Virginia. Can, can we take a moment to award the Big 12 as the strangest bracket? Yeah. In Oklahoma State's absence. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a little. So, so Kansas is going to get the 8 9. So basically, we're starting in the second in the second round of the NCAA tournament. Like there's one team that's playing, there's two teams that are playing in the first round. Right, right. And then everybody else has started. It's, in the it's second so round. beautiful because it gets to eight, but you got to play one game to get to the eight. It's not the yep. two. It's just the one. It's just the one. It is the graphic here that I'm looking at is is actually pretty is is pretty funny looking because it's so aesthetically pleasing except for K State and West Virginia. (laughs) Um, That game's tonight. The rest of the corner final matchups on Thursday. Kansas is your one seed. Baylor gets Oklahoma as the two seed. Texas Tech and Iowa State, uh, the three six, and Texas and TCU the four five. As of as of yesterday, uh, Lucas Harkins. You know, we're we're just here. We're we're a heat check podcast here. Heat check, heat heat check. We're we're not a heat check podcast. We are we are pro heat check here on this pod. Anyways, uh, the Big Twelve, according to uh, Lucas, at this point, getting six teams in the tournament. Um, but what say you about the way this bracket shook? Yeah, I mean. I feel like there's not too much to say just because this conference is so balanced. Kansas, to me, is the only team that you look at that and you go, okay, so that should be a win. Mm-hmm. I mean, Baylor should beat Oklahoma. Oklahoma is also coached by Porter Moser and is a good basketball team mm-hmm. that's been in the NCAA tournament conversation most of the season. Uh-huh. You know. And Oklahoma, one of Lucas's next four out. Yeah, they're still right. There's – 
they've got work to do to get themselves back in, but they're still in the discussion. And that's right. your second worst team once we get to the quarterfinals. Right. The, the other part of this that's interesting to me is just kind of from a matchup standpoint, The fact that if Texas can get through, we get Texas-Kansas part three. Mm -hmm. If I'm Bill Self, I'm not sure there's a team I would want to avoid more than Texas. After what Courtney Ramey has done, I know I I keep harping on this, but he has taken Ochai out of the game twice. Mm -hmm. I want no – that's Chris Beard. I want no part of those dudes in March. And so that is the other interesting part of this for me. And then it's just which of these teams can go help themselves and who gets playing good basketball heading into the NCAA tournament because they're all going. <laughs> yep. It's we, – we very quickly get to – like like if Baylor – like if – assuming Baylor beats Oklahoma, like assuming that happens, then after that it's okay, which Big 12 team do we feel the best about? once we actually get to march mm-hmm. or get to get through the tournament it's march by the way in case you didn't know we're actually nine days into march in case you were curious uh right because after that right oklahoma interesting iowa state certainly i mean they're they're probably going to be fine um regardless of what happens and getting to play texas tech it's not like they're going to take a bad loss here um they're currently at nine seed, so they should be fine. There shouldn't be anything unless, you know, there are six different, you know, unless the K-States of the world win all six power six <laughs> conferences, um, then, we're, then they're probably going to be fine. But after that, right, we very quickly get to, okay, can, can Texas go on a run, right? This is still a team that, as we said at the beginning of the season, can go toe-to-toe talent-wise, and this has been the case with Texas for several years, but, like, can go toe-to-toe talent-wise with anybody in this conference um, and is the type of team that can become a very trendy pick if they make a deep run into this tournament. Um, but it's a, okay, what does what does Kansas look like? Do they just sort of parlay their, their one seed into beating Texas again, beating Baylor, or does Baylor, as they – continue to sort of round back into form and are healthier and healthier. Is it like, okay, Baylor, or is it Texas tech? There's a lot of, there, there are four teams here in particular that when you talk about this conference, those four teams, one of them is going to, is probably going to win this conference, uh, this conference tournament. And is it in a man, they just look like one of the best teams in the sport, or is it a, yeah, they won this conference tournament, but I don't really feel any differently than I did about them four days ago before it started. And the other factor here is also the one seed consideration because there's so much up in the air right now of how do Baylor and Kansas fare. If right, if they meet in the championship game, there's a good chance they both end up as ones. You've got Gonzaga, you've got Arizona, and then it's kind of anybody's guess at this point how the rest of that shakes out so that's the other interesting factor in this equation certainly who's your winner unless you got anything else the baylor bears the bears okay playing playing the best basketball of any team in the conference arguably they've i know jonathan chamachacha was not there but like you said 
they've finally sort of gotten over all of these nagging injuries that have been bothering them most of the season. Kansas has a up and down history in this tournament. I just don't, I don't like the idea of Texas. I don't like the idea that they already absolutely pulverized Baylor once this year. Mm -hmm. And Baylor's going to win this thing at some point. <laughs> I mean, just mathematically speaking, they're, and of course, they've had, you know, one chance since they've become Baylor mm -hmm. because they obviously didn't get the, the opportunity the first two years ago when they had that phenomenal team and they lost last year. I just going to say it's their year. We finally have a difference. All right. I'm fine. I'm going to go with the Jayhawks. Um, I still think that regardless of how well Baylor is playing, that I still think the most talented team in this conference is Kansas, and they don't have to play Iowa State. And Iowa State's, you know, if they have to, if they have to go through Iowa State to win the conference, then no shot. No, that is shot. that is that is the other question here. Is does Iowa? Uh, that's a tough way to start with. To have to go Texas Tech, Baylor, Kansas, in theory. In theory. To yeah, that's the other right. That's the other factor here is how the Cyclones doing. Because if it's not Kansas, it's Iowa State. <laughs> um, but I. I'm going to go with the Jayhawks. I'm going to go with Bill Self's team. The only other thing I'll say is that I'm not predicting them to win the tournament. And, and they're so weird. They had such a very, they had such a weird end to the year. Cause they like, they played a bunch of really good teams in a, in this stretch. And because there's some time to look them like TCU. I don't want to play TCU. I don't want to play them. And, you know, they'll have a stretch where they, you know, beat Texas tech and Kansas and back-to-back -back nights but then they'll end the season with losing to West Virginia. They've had, you know, these three game, you know, all of their stretches that they have losing streaks are a bit like they had to play Texas Tech, Iowa State, and Baylor. Like that, they had a three game losing streak in the middle of February. But like they lost, they, they've played the good teams in this conference pretty well this year. Anyways, all I'll say is that they, if they find a way to get past Texas, uh, which they didn't do in the regular season, and it did. It, neither game was particularly close, so that's just a bad. It, that's not a great matchup for them. But the point being is that TCU is is tough and well coached, and certainly a team that, like, if they end up, if like at the under four timeout in the semifinals, that they have a chance to beat Kansas and go to the Big Twelve championship. I won't be surprised, but uh, just to, just one little thing, but certainly not going to pick them to beat Texas, Kansas, and then Baylor in theory. Man, it's just so hard to beat the five seed. Jeez Louise. Especially, yeah, especially in this conference. Right, in the Big 12 in particular. But uh, I'm going to go with Kansas, um, the Jayhawks, uh, and I think they have the best player in this conference. David McCormick had a strong end to the season, and uh, – and I'm gonna I'm gonna roll with them, and thank God they don't have to play Iowa State and Monte Morris. You're welcome. <laughs> Shout out to Monte Morris, by the way. Absolutely. You keeping track of Monte Morris? Keeping tabs? You know it. Do you talk about that Denver team? That Denver team is not good, and Jokic is freaking gross. Absolutely gross. Anyways, um, just gotta get healthy. 
man if that like they're the sleeping giant like oh yeah like like if they're healthy i mean they're like 38 and 26 without their like two of their three best players mm-hmm. now they have a guy who should win MVP and is not getting talked about like he's having the best statistical season of anybody, but it's okay. It's fine. It's a different conversation. Um, I got Kansas. Josh has Baylor. Finally, at least one of us, I mean, we, we could both be wrong. That could happen, but at least if one of us is right, the other one, will be. so I can, we can make fun. One of us is going to get to make fun of the other. Alrighty. Pac 12 at Timo trivia time. How many arenas, <laughs> How many arenas being used for conference tournament this week? Tournaments this week are are named T-Mobile Arena. Oh, I thought you were going to go a different direction with that. No, I'll say three. It's two. The unless I'm hold on, let me make sure. I'm pretty sure I read that right, but hold on. I gotta. I just closed the tab. Hold on. Yes, the T. Oh well, one is the T-Mobile Center, one is the T-Mobile Arena. The 2022 Phillips 66 Big 12 Men's Basketball Championship. You're welcome, by the way, for the full title. Um, being played at T-Mobile Center in Kansas City. The 2022 Pac-12 Men's Basketball Tournament in Las Vegas also being played at a T-Mobile sponsored venue, the T-Mobile Arena. This one is presented by New York Life, though. You're welcome. The number one seed. Is there a bigger gap in uh, there? There's not right a bigger gap in the Power Six conferences than number one to number two in the AC in the SC. Well, I've tried to say two of the six. Maybe I'll get it right with the third one. Then the gap between Arizona and UCLA and the Pac-12. No, no. probably not. Um, Arizona. Oh, uh, 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 yes, ACC. Okay, perhaps. Now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, okay. It's probably pretty close. UCLA is better than the second best team in yes. the ACC. Much better. Yeah, I would agree with that. So you're probably right. Anyways, um, it, especially in terms of, well, you know, in terms of how much they ran away with this conference, Arizona ran away with it in a convincing manner. They're the one seed, UCLA two, USC three, Colorado four. Those are the buys here. Heat check college basketball, Lucas Harkins. They, he has um three pac 12 teams getting into the tournament um those three being the 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 top three seeds in this bracket arizona usc and ucla is there anything that is that gets you excited here um other than the possibility of arizona and ucla playing in the pac 12 title game yeah, not for, I, to me. This is about what do, <laughs> you the, what do those no, three? Okay. <laughs> what do those three teams do? I'm uh-huh. I'm curious. I guess I'm sort of excited to see if Oregon can somehow catch fire and play themselves all the way in by winning this thing. Uh huh. I wouldn't completely rule that out, but this is a, this is a strange one. There's just not it, it's it's just cut and dry. You got three teams. They're all in safely. We're playing for seeding, we're playing for a conference tournament championship, and we're playing to see if we can beat Arizona. Oregon, Oregon might be the coldest team in the country at this point. So them getting hot and winning this tournament would be yeah. impressive. They lost seven of six of their last eight, um, losing to Cal by multiple by double digits, Arizona State by twenty three, and 
Washington and Washington State. They lost to Washington State by 20 to end the season. So I would be stunned, but also like, you know, I would be stunned, but Oregon winning a couple, you know, winning, let's see, who would they have to be? They have to be college. So like them meeting Arizona in the semifinals of this tournament would not be out of the realm of possibility since they play a Colorado team on the outside looking in at this moment, right. In the, in a potential quarterfinal matchup, assuming they can take care of, of Oregon state. Um, but that is right. A- apart from that, I mean, there are two teams inside the top 40 of Kim Palm in this, ter- in this tournament. Two. USC all the way down to 40. That's impressive. Two teams in the top 10. USC is 40th. And then Washington state is fourth at 55. There are one, two, three, four, five teams in this conference outside the top 109. At, at yeah. yeah, it's not great. It's not great. Um, there, I don't have a whole lot else here. Um, really, I'm going to be disappointed if one of the top two seeds gets beat early um, because that's that's really what I want to see because we saw, you know, we saw Arizona go to UCLA and, you know, after that game we had the – okay, so how good is Arizona really, right? Are they really ready for the top level of the sport kind of conversation? And then they promptly went on to win pretty much every game they played by double digits apart from losing to Colorado, right? And, and that included a UCLA win by 10 at home. So both teams took care of business on their home floors. So getting to see them on the, on the neutral side is something I'd very much be – uh, is something I very much look forward to. Um, right, if you get USC there against Arizona, that would be fine. But that's really what I'm here to live. Uh, that's really what I'm living for when it comes to this tournament is getting to see those two teams play again at the end of the tournament. Your winner, Arizona. Yeah, yeah. Not gonna overthink it. There's, there's, they, there might not be anybody in the country. Like if, if it is, there's one team that is more consistent than Arizona this year. And it might not even be Gonzaga. It might it might just be Arizona. They might just be the most consistent team in this tournament. There's nothing they've done this year to suggest that they can't handle winning four straight games. Uh, excuse me, three straight games in a conference tournament. Nothing at all. I'm uh, I'm pretty pretty confident in this one. Especially when the other two teams that you're scared of are buried on the other side, so you only have to face one of them. Right. You only have Maximum. to face one of them. You only have to face one of them and any roster, you know, nerves you might have because it's a conference tournament, you get to knock those off in the first two games. Yeah. So I got Arizona as well. Didn't have to think super hard about that one. Last but not least, the SEC. I want to start with a question. Um, would you take the top four seeds in any of the turn? Maybe it's the Big Ten because the Big Ten just ruins it all. But the top four seeds in this tournament are super strong. And part of it's because Tennessee and, and Arkansas are playing so well and finished the season so strong, but the top four seeds here, are Auburn, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Arkansas. And that is, those are four really good basketball teams. That was what we did. Did that sound weird? Basketball, basketball teams um, in this conference tournament. And I wouldn't be super stunned if any of those four, uh, we're able to to win this one in Tampa Bay, but SEC tournament one Auburn two Tennessee, not even Kentucky. Kentucky three Arkansas four followed by LSU and Alabama at five and six. 
this tournament underway today. Uh, Ole Miss and Mizzou, Georgia and Vanderbilt uh, in the 11-14 matchup. What say you here about the SEC and uh, how do you feel about the four teams in this conference, the top four teams in this conference relative to the top four teams in the other Power Six conferences? Give me the curious. Big 12 and the Big 10 first. You think so? Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. The SEC has all has five teams in the top 20 at Kempom right now. LSU inexplicably still 17th. That one doesn't count. But Arkansas, Tennessee, Auburn, and Kentucky all inside the top 20 at Kempom. The Big Ten has like 11 of them. No, I lied. The Big Ten has three. And none of them are in the top 10 at Kempom. It's just interesting. I'm just making observations here. But the top of this conference is uh, certainly very good yes. and will make this conference tournament very interesting. And the other it's part certainly of, not a who can beat Kentucky kind of vibe anymore right. when it comes to this tournament. And the other interesting part of this too is what the, just the seating aspect for all of these teams. There's not a lot of bubble conversation to be had here. Mm-hmm. But you start with Alabama and LSU, and then you go to these top four seats that have the double buys. You know, if Alabama knocks off Kentucky and makes a run to the championship game, somehow, some way, we're probably going to have to talk about him as a potential four seed on Selection Sunday. Inexplicably, somehow. Also, if they lose to, let's say, Vanderbilt and LSU beats Arkansas, you know, or, or Arkansas takes down Auburn and wins the whole thing, or Tennessee. What happens if Tennessee wins the whole thing? Is that enough to unseat Kentucky and get Tennessee to a two? If Auburn wins the whole thing, depending on how the Big 12 goes, is that enough to get Auburn back on the one line? There's just a lot of – these teams are hard to make sense of with the exception of Auburn and Kentucky, I feel like, because they've been so inconsistent. They just – great some, not great – and they look great again. And right. So now Tennessee and Arkansas are surging, playing terrific basketball. The resume as a whole isn't perfect though. So putting another set of quality wins together and going deep into this tournament is really going to help come Sunday. So that's the biggest thing I'm looking for here. Right now, Lucas has an SEC team on each of the top four lines. Auburn at one. Kentucky two, Tennessee three, Arkansas four. So they're just as important as trying to get into the tournament is that if, right, Auburn can cement itself, Arkansas can jump a line, Tennessee, is there anything Tennessee can do to jump a line? Like if they go, if they end up beating Kentucky and Auburn, but does, you know, Auburn getting all the way there and beating Arkansas, put them in a position where they can't be unhinged from that spot. All of these are questions. And I think that's maybe something at least that I forget to take into account when it comes to this week and the last couple of weeks of the regular season is we spend so much time talking about which teams are, are or aren't going to make the tournament that I sometimes forget to have a conversation about, okay, which teams this week can make a jump from one seed line to another, because 
right that's the name of the game i want to get as high a seed as possible so that i can play as bad a team as possible as long as possible right and avoid the best teams as long as possible right i mean especially when you talk about being a four seed like like you go from playing like as a four seed you play you're in the gauntlet right i mean 512 is the one but there are a lot of good 13 seeds Mm -hmm. every single year then you have to go play a five seed which by definition is a team that's relatively similar to you and then you're playing the one seed like that's a really tough way to start and if you're a three seed you get to play the 14 which just doesn't happen nearly as often right right? that that seems to be kind of the line of demarcation right and then you get to play the six seed and you know right now just for example the five seeds right now for Lucas, the five seeds are Houston, Yukon, Texas, and St. Mary's. The six seeds are Iowa, Colorado State, Alabama, and LSU. I think there's there's objectively like like I'm scared. I, I really don't want to play three of those four five seeds, if not all four. And like Alabama and LSU, I'm not super scared by. Iowa, you know, at this point is playing good basketball. But um, the point being is that there's a pretty significant difference, I think, there between between three and four. So the point being that, get, you know, staying on the three line, getting to the three line, there's a lot of that happening at the top end of this of this bracket. Anything else before we get to a winner? No, that was really the thing I was looking at. Really, I just want all four four seeds yeah. to win their quarterfinal matchups. I would I would like to have a little mini final four here with these four teams because I right they've they've all looked good. They've all taken it to each other one time or another this year. Right, Kentucky turning in a historically good offensive performance one time against Tennessee, and then Tennessee, you know, showing up the other time. Um, so that's really all I'm asking for from this tournament is I don't, I don't need like these other teams to make a run. I'm not all that interested in that, to be honest with you. Uh, I just want to see those four teams play each other for, for a conference title. Mr. Doring, who's your one? Kentucky. The Wildcats. I'm going to stick. I'm going to stick with them. Stuck with them all year. The guards are back. Finally getting into the swing of things. I feel like at this point, they've been the most consistent team in the conference. Not always the best, but the most consistent with the way that Auburn has kind of faltered here down the stretch. Mm -hmm. And I don't like the Arkansas matchup for Auburn. We've seen it before. Jalen Williams is just a monster Mm -hmm. who is the kind of guy that makes life really annoying for Walker Kessler and Jabari Smith. J.D. Note is a bad man. Mm -hmm. It's the must bus. They're playing terrific. I just once you right, if we get these four teams in the semifinals, it's a it's a toss up at this point because of just there's so little separation between them. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Cal, the team I've liked all season, and say Kentucky finds a way to come out of this thing. Josh, what's my favorite thing in postseason college basketball? Guards. That's correct. Who has the best guards in the SEC? Kentucky. Uh, which team well, has the guards that think they're better than the big guys on their team, but uh, and to their detriment sometimes uh, take way too many shots and make way too many decisions? That would be Auburn. That would be Auburn. So which team do you think I'm going with? Kentucky. That's correct. Um, 
I oh and by the way Oscar Chibwe is like like I've seen like there have been multiple media outlets that are like yeah Oscar Chibwe national player of the year yeah oh yeah so like I say that to say that I just pointed to the guards who are both very good um, and I haven't even gotten to the fact that Oscar Chibwe also has Kentucky taped across his chest Um, I like I'm almost turned off by Auburn because of the way their guards play and I, I like because it's not like like their front court is so good but it's not like when Wendell Green has a bad night he's just kind of non-existent right because like there are two different types of bad nights there are unproductive bad nights where like you just need them to do more and then there are bad nights that Wendell Green has where he just doesn't seem to be able to get it through his head that he needs to stop shooting. He's a little Xavier Johnson-ish at Indiana. Like Xavier Johnson will shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot until he makes one. You should have seen it at the Crossroads Classic. He was 0-6 from the three-point line. He was taking them like he was burying them. And like there was this mix of Indiana cries and boos and laughter amongst you know the purdue and other indiana based teams uh you know fans that were there um that that worries me and like there's not a whole lot you can do if you're like unless like because walker kessler is not going to handle the ball and jabari smith i mean he i guess he should he could be like hey give me give me the basketball but like that's not him that's not him and it is window green (laughs) and that and that and that kind of worries me um when they're healthy i think we're not all that far away we're like ty ty washington getting injured in that kentucky auburn game from like like that game that auburn won right after you know on january 22nd like there's a world in which kentucky wins that game especially if ty ty washington is healthy and the the narrative kind of flips where it's like okay auburn kentucky's the best team in this conference not that auburn didn't earn that by any stretch in the imagination but that was kind of when it was like okay yeah auburn they're they might be the best team in the country and we were pretty close to i think kentucky going into auburn and winning that game um and when they're healthy i think they're they're pretty scary um and those guards are are pretty spectacular they are talented they are um experienced in the right places um and I am very much here for guard play in uh, in March, and certainly not for my guard play being net negatives on the ba- on on bad days. So I am also going with Cal, which is super boring because now like the only way we can differ is if freaking Kansas wins instead of Baylor, and that just in <laughs> itself is boring because it's the Big Twelve and it's Kansas or Baylor. So of course it's Kansas or Baylor because it's the Big Twelve. Anyways. Uh, but I am also going with Kentucky. I suppose a little bit that it's not Auburn. No, just that you would pick Kentucky. Why? I, I don't know. I don't really have a good reason why. I just thought maybe you'd go Arkansas or Tennessee. I guess. Um, I'm, I'm not surprised you you wouldn't pick Auburn. I thought you might have gone with one of the other two teams. No, I. 
I'm a little, I, I try not to pick. I try not to pick like the whole getting hot before yeah. the conference tournament thing is a bit of a myth talking about the three beaten three teams heart. Like, like it really, like, like it's a myth about being hot going into the tournament. And it's also a myth, like winning the, your conference tournament, what that means for how yeah. deep you're going to go in Martin, the NCAA tournament. Yeah. So I, I kind of tried to stray away from that um, for what it's worth. If I was going to pick one of the two, it'd be Arkansas. Um, I kind of think like, and in, in I, I might have mentioned this to you at some point. The, the Where I'm at with the NCAA tournament is I kind of think, like, there's part of me that's like, yeah, I kind of think Gonzaga's just going to be that team that almost got there last year, is hungry, and is just going to kind of mop the floor with everybody and win it. Or a team kind of like Arkansas that has a good team and then a guy who's going to be the best player on the floor for six straight games. You know, like a, like a UConn-type, you know, Kimball Walker, Shabazz mm-hmm. Napier team. And I think this Arkansas team is better than both of those teams. And then you have a guy like JD Note. I'm, I'm juggling those two balls in there. Anyways, my point being is that I very much like Arkansas. And I wouldn't, I'm not saying that I'm predicting Arkansas to win the national championship. That's not what I'm doing. But the point being is that I do like them enough that when I have this thought in my head about, okay, is it going to be the team that's genuinely one of the best this year or a team that has a guy that gets like just untouchable in the tournament? And the list of teams, you know, the type of teams on that list are teams like Wisconsin, you know, yeah. really well coached, aren't going to make a lot of mistakes, and they're going to have the best player on the floor. Arkansas, really well coached. Um, they're not going to do a ton of things to beat themselves, um, and they have the best player on the floor. Like, they're top 20 in defensive efficiency, and they, and J.D. Note is capable of just being an absolute bucket getter um for a couple weeks in a row so anyways the point being i like arkansas uh as well but i am i'm gonna go with the wildcats all right it is here it is here next five days are going to be very very exciting it's a great sports weekend because you got the players that i know you know people on this podcast won't care but the players is this weekend i'm pumped about that as well conference tournament weekend it's just it's all gravy it really is um and i'm very very excited for it to get going we'll be back on unless you got anything else you got anything else let's just hope we don't have any more uh nec situations with chaos in the stands and yeah that was not pretty but i don't think we will because we're not playing very many more conference tournaments on you know home courts so right let's let's stick to the basketball and have some fun i love it i like it i love anyways Sorry, sometimes music just overcomes you. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> um, we'll be back on Monday to react to Selection Sunday, Conference Tournament Week, all of those fun things. And uh, we'll, get, uh, we'll get the tournament rolling here in 2022. Thank you. Please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast. Now podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days pod. And we will be back next week. Enjoy Conference Tournament Week. Enjoy Selection Sunday. And we will see you on Monday. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later.